It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Hello, everybody. What's the deal with employee turnover? Even the most well-functioning companies I've noticed that I've talked to, they, even the ones that will say, we really don't have any problems, everything's going well. And yes, some of you may think it's hard to believe that there's companies out there that say that. There are, or at least there's people in the companies that will say that about their company. They always still seem to point to, except for the employee turnover, because that is something that's inevitable. And sometimes it can be because of simply industry, you know, the hospitality industry, the services industry, um, any kind of industry where you're getting hourly workers, especially ones that are um, seasonal workers um, or that are kind of stepping stone jobs on, on the way to what we really want to be when we grow up. So <clears throat> it, it's hard enough for, for organizations now to find that really good talent at the top and what are the incentives that keep people at the top and keep them in their jobs but the other thing to really pay attention to is are the frontline workers because it costs it still costs a, a ton of money to recruit train and have uh, you know orient uh, onboard even the frontline employees and to replace them so how can we improve retention, not just for frontline workers, not just for middle workers, and not just for the top, top, top workers. So we're going to talk about everything from salary. So we're going to talk about compensation packages. We're going to talk about um, feeling appreciated. We're going to talk about flexible work schedules. We're going to talk about remote work. And I'll, I'll let hang this before I turn it over to Tom, and then we'll invite some more people up. A study I recently read showed that 80% of, of people, it was a study of 700 and something people, 80% of them would rather have more, rather than an increase in compensation to stay at their company, they would rather have more challenging work that pertains to what their, to their goals. They'd rather have more flexible schedules, be more appreciated and have the opportunity for remote work and also for more vacation rather than an increase in compensation. That was 80% of the people in the study. Interesting. Tom, I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Jeremy. And you're absolutely right. Uh, even the Harvard Business School is talking about the great resignation, which is currently on. And I'm sure you know we've got Angela 
Arianna, Heather, and Linda Ann up here on the stage right now, as well as yourself, Jeremy. And I'd love to maybe start this off by hearing some of the um, stories from the trenches. You know, people in this room, people up on the stage are working in the, you know, in the organizations. They're, you know, consulting. And I'd really love to start to hear about some of the issues that they're seeing out there with what's going on with, you know, employee turnover. Uh, Brendan, welcome as well. So any of you on stage want to open your mic and share some of what you're seeing out there, please do. And we'll give a chance. There we go. Our Ariana has a hand raised. Um, I was going to get into a uh, compensation statement, but let's let's go with what Ariana has to say because it's probably much more exciting. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I think this is a very important topic at the moment. And it is super interesting to see some of the stats that are coming out on the great resignation. I even saw a study put out live. Ariana, I'm having trouble. I don't know if your mute mic is muted or if I'm the only one not able to hear. I can hear you fine. <laughs> it's just you, Jeremy. Oh, sorry. Okay, <laughs> go on. <laughs> sorry, Jeremy. Hopefully you can hear me um, eventually. Um, but I was saying that I, I was looking at some research that came out from McKinsey and Company around the Great Resignation and a very large percentage of people who are quitting their jobs do not have another job lined up. So as I think about as we face this topic and this issue, I think that's a very interesting variable. And I think what we're seeing is people finally getting fed up with toxic or just demanding cultures. And I think the pandemic has contributed to that and the focus on mental health. But I think we're seeing a big shift in the expectations on companies and people are looking for new modalities to work, whether it's freelancing and new services like Fiverr and Upwork are presenting new opportunity for people to break from the corporate mold. Yeah, it's it's out there. It's happening. And and Jeremy, she, she's hit on a lot of really good points about, you know, why people are actually searching and. And she's right, they're not, you know, some of them are leaving for other jobs, but a lot of them are just deciding that the way they're working now is not benefiting them. So you were going to get into compensation, so maybe this is a good point. Yeah, excuse me, and I will mention that uh, I did pop out and pop back in, so I missed a little bit of it, but I caught the tail end. So one thing, so when you look at just, when you look at just the compensation piece, there's a lot, of, I think it's only 25% of companies uh, depending on which study you look at, provide a um, like a total compensation when somebody's hired and reviews it throughout someone's tenure at an organization. And that is simply, you know, for example, if you have a, you know, if you have a, 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 a CXO that's making 200,000, uh, they may say, okay, I make 200,000 and then I have my bonus. But when you add in 401k, when you add in what the vacation time amounts to, when you add in different kinds of insurance, when you add in all these different other other benefits that are there, a lot of times you're adding in, especially at that range, you're adding in an extra 25, 30,000. So when you someone looks at their total compensation sheet <clears throat> and they think they're making 200,000, but all of a sudden they see that they're making 289,000 when it's all said and done. That's a big difference because there people are looking on your salary.coms and your monster salary and your pay scales and these different things to see what other people are compensated. But oftentimes, no matter who it is, it's not registering. 
And it's the same thing with, you know, whether it's uh, your hourly workers, your middle managers, if somebody is making $30,000 a year, but when you add in um, any kind of profit sharing, any kind of whatever it may be, they may be making 36, 37, 38. It may, it, these aren't, aren't the things that are going to nail people to the, to the company and provide that emotional commitment to the company, that affective commitment. But it does touch importantly on your normative and your continuous commitment to the company, which is basically that reciprocity. I'm working for you. You, you give me this in return. So it does help to show that. So that's one thing because there are a lot of people uh, you know, in the, in the HR world and a lot of people with your MBAs and your people that are running the company that are very business acumen oriented and not focusing as much on the appreciation aspects and the soft skills. Um, and we're all combining all of this to make these great workforces. But something as simple as it's a total compensation sheet um, would be interesting. And I'm wondering, I see Linda and you have your hand up because you're very heavily and you've been in the HR space. So what, uh, what say you about this? <clears throat> well, I agree. And one of the things that I had started to do at the end of the, each year, um, especially as people got their, their raises and so forth, I provided people with um, a letter that included a complete graph of, of each of them with what their, their actual monetary compensation was, what their 40k contribution was worth, what their, what their, um, healthcare, what the employer contribution to their healthcare program was worth. All of that was in a, a visual graph broken out according to each and they could see what percentage was what, but, um, that helped somewhat because then when they had, um, an offer from somewhere else, um, it helped them understand really what they were leaving, you know, so they might have, you know, had a $60,000, um, paycheck, but I could show them that they were really being compensated on a level of 72 or 75,000. And that, that made a difference. Plus it helped them understand from the employer's point of view that they weren't just costing $60,000. They were costing the employer 72 or 75. And that was something that the employer was doing for them. So I think that helps a lot. And I think it needs to be in a visual uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I hear what you're saying, Linda Ann, but you know what I'm. What, Jeremy and I just had this amazing uh, live event with a world class economist named Robert McGarvey, and he's talking about a new form of accounting and really a new mindset, and it's taking the employee off that um, expense side of the of the balance sheet that, you know, this is what your compensation is and putting them on the asset side of the compensation or on the, on the asset side of the books and looking at that relationship between the employee and the company as an asset. And it's really about a, a mind shift. And I wonder if that's not a major component, not only from the corporate world where we're going to see a new accounting system where employees aren't really considered expenses, but they're considered assets. And I think that blends well with what I'm hearing that, you know, it's it's not really about the financial compensation anymore. It's about the work-life balance or, or as, you know, some people have, are starting to phrase it, the life-work balance. So it, is it just the compensation 
or is it much more than that? Is, is that why we're seeing this shift? Brendan, let's go to you. So something that I just want to, um, that I've observed personally is that when you're talking about the total comp reward statements, that's only applicable at a certain level. Um, the people who are more hourly workers below, I would say that uh, $45,000 a year range do not care at all about um, total rewards just for some odd reason. They, for the most part, most of those people from just, again, what I've observed is they rather have the money that they get towards their benefits as just additional pay. So they never see it as additional pay. They rather not even have the benefits and actually have the additional either hourly pay or salary so for them to use. So maybe that's also part of this discussion as well, is if is there something to be said for, okay, your total rewards would be X amount of dollars and you can choose how you want to do that. If you want to use it for benefits, cool. If not, you can head it as additional salary. Is that someplace that maybe we should be going with this? Yeah, you raised some really good points there. And I, I think, I think we've, we've hit on something because I see lots of hands up. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you first so you can respond to that. And Ariana and Angela, we'll get to you next. Um, I've seen it done, uh, you know, both ways. And one of the things that, that in one of the organizations I, I worked at, they wanted to do profit sharing. And so they were doing profit sharing and just giving people the money so they could do exactly that. So that um, they could go ahead and if they wanted to do a four, you know, a, a, a retirement plan, they could do that, et cetera. And what we found was that we were giving them the money and it was just, you know, not being used for some of those really good things that they as a responsible adult should, should use it for. And so uh, we moved to putting in a 401k so they would actually have that when they left in 10 years or whatever that was. So I, I get that total mindset that, you know, people really do want the, you know, the, the extra cash in their paycheck. But when you look at, you know, what's the, what's the overall impact of an extra $50 a, a, for some people that makes a whole lot, but um, there's also the bigger picture that you have a responsibility to them as an employer to um, make sure that they're getting some of the things that they need to have um, long-term and, and looking out for them um, when they're not looking out for themselves. At least that's the way I, I view that. And, and Tom, to, to your point where, cause I was in that, that converse or in that, um, conference that that you were referring to is and I totally agree with and understand the the shift to the having the employees as an asset um, value but I, they they can't come off the books as as an expense right you're not you're still going to have them as an expense it's just like you know if you make a capital expenditure you're still going to have that capital uh cost, you're going to have the value um, and the contribution that that asset makes to your company, but it's still going to have a cost. So while they we shift some of that to the, um, the asset side, I don't think we can take it off completely on the expense side. You may be right on that. Uh, Ariana, let's go to you. Something else that I wanted to bring up in the conversation is I think as we think about turnover and the amounts that it's happening, I feel like there's at least two segments that are very different. And the first one being it kind of more of those very entry level jobs 
um, whether it's in hospitality or in food industries or even in the medical industry, people who are being paid near minimum wage and the high level of turnover that we're seeing there. Um, and I see some trends in that demographic being just the availability of those types of jobs paired with the low amount of pay that's traditional with those roles. It's hard to keep people because those types of jobs are still sometimes mentally and physically demanding, and yet they have a lot of options of similar jobs. So for example, I heard of one medical assistant who was making $17 an hour, but working very hard. And a comment she made was, well, maybe I should just go work at Sonic for the same price. Um, and then on the flip side, I think the different one is more of the white collar traditional workers that has briefly been mentioned here, when I think that tends to stem around burnout and corporate culture. So I think that mm. sometimes as we consider these different groups, there are nuances in the reasons that people are leaving in different ways that we could address it. Yes, I agree as well. Angela, let's go over to you. Good afternoon, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Awesome. Awesome. Some great points here. I, you know, I like to speak from a personal standpoint, and that's my disclaimer. Everything I say is because of something I've experienced or someone I've engaged with has provided their experience to me. People are tired. Um, when you're talking about the great resignation and all the pandemic stuff and people realizing, you know, I can work from home or I can go somewhere else and make better money. For me, the bottom line is culture. Um, how many times have you all worked somewhere and watched the toxic employee or leader move up in the company and you say to yourself, oh, my God, are you serious? You know, we're tired of that. And a lot of people are also understanding that they can actually work for themselves. It may be a struggle for a little bit financially, um, you know, but eventually being your own boss and not having to be in that type of environment can provide peace and you can't put a price on peace. Again, speaking from personal experience, I don't know if any of you all have been through that or not. Um, I've, I've worked with a lot of entities recently as far as diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And that belonging piece is the piece that most people do not focus on, which, you know, entails the culture. And that's what we need to be focusing on. People need to feel a certain way in the workplace in order to feel valued. And if you, you you all have probably heard that saying about, you know, a person will give 120% as long as you make them feel good. That is a true statement. Um, you know, a lot of us, as far as compensation, we're probably all at levels where we've made a lot of money. We're making a lot of money. We probably could stand to make some more. That would be great. But money is not what keeps us in the workplace. It helps us pay our bills and finance our lives. But at the same time, who wants to go to work and be around toxic individuals to include leaders? And that sucks. Nobody wants to do that. You know, so when you're talking about the great resignation, Personally, the great resignation has been around for a long time. It's just something that's being focused on now because a lot of companies are losing money by losing employees. So I'm Dr. P and I'm done speaking. That is great, Dr. P. And, and I think you're absolutely right. That there is a cultural shift that's happening amongst all of this. And I want to come back to you eventually and ask you uh, if there's a difference between older workers and younger workers. But first, Jeremy, yeah, I see your so. hand up. Let's go to uh, you. So yeah, and then I'm, Linda, uh, over to you. I, I work as a as an analyst, people analytics 
Um, and, and to Jeremy's point, to Jeremy. uh, I, I think that it's not something that's necessarily new. Um, I think something oh, that Jeremy, I'm seeing in the data, issues? uh, within my organization there and the previous organization Excellent. that I was working for, <laughs> I was giving um, within so 2020, 2021 is um, during 2020, was, there was this sort of my, mic, bottleneck where, People um, so were not resigning and, due and to the unpredictability of the, the market and, so and just the nature of COVID I've always been in 2020. And, and so we weren't seeing that huge volume work of, is tough uh, enough. Just the nature you know, uh, of turnover. People, uh, people were staying, organizations were super happy, right? Well, 2021 hits and people, you know, they're starting to get tired of kind of just sitting in the same place. We're kind of moving forward in terms of country and in terms of COVID. And so what we've seen is that bottleneck kind of turn into floodgates, right? And those floodgates are open. And so now we have this massive and it's um, exodus of people leaving also, our organization. Such a strong and so I think that's been. a big part of probably always will be a of why uh, that it doesn't take this, that this, this has kind of come to light much. is because uh, we, more, we did uh, a lot of organizations did see that bottleneck um, uh, turn into floodgates. Um, and then I'd also say that huge program. It doesn't in terms of data, I think that easier. Once what we're seeing is that this is, this is validated. By you know, studies, I hate to use the word like generations are are different because they don't have different wage. Uh, uh, make I'm not a believer that generations have different uh, needs. I think that it's all due to age and the and, only uh, thing that makes them more sad where you're at in terms of your life. Money. Yes, um, life it, stages, right? More sad. We're seeing that. I think that due to social media and just the way that we're able to voice our opinions now. Um, the people, uh, the, the younger people of today how are able to kind of say, Hey, this is really what I'm wanting, getting, uh, right? This is, this is what I'm looking for, for in an organization. They make it and known. And yes, so, uh, now, now we have these, these voices that, that are able to be heard through, through media, um, and different media platforms. Um, so that, that's my input on, on kind of what I'm seeing in the data and sometimes seeing out there. but yeah, love to hear anybody else's opinions. Thanks. You can do market comparison. You can do all kinds of things. So that, uh, we've, we've talked a little bit on that. Um, but one simple thing, I'm just going to give, I'm all about action. One simple thing that every manager, everyone leading anyone can do during their next sit down. And goodness gracious, please do this during performance reviews is take the job description of your employee, print it out. And when you sit for your one-on-one, -on -one, Take a red highlighter or a pink highlighter, a yellow highlighter, and a green highlighter. And it's very simple. Highlighting green, the things on the job description that are going really well that the person is excelling at. A yellow for the things that can use a little attention. And a red for the things that are, whoa, 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 we've got to concentrate on this. Because oftentimes people, one of the, and I do this for the reasons that people are saying, okay, that makes sense. But also for this next reason. People often think they deserve more money because they're doing so many other things that are not in their job description. And that could be good because it's discretionary effort, but it could be bad because what if somebody's doing all these things that are not in their job description and it's taking away from them actually doing their job well, and they could be excelling in their actual job and helping the, in the company in the way that the company meant to be helping. So this can do a lot of things. It can help with the professional development. 
it can help with because it's a nice it's an easy conversation to have with the manager and goodness knows that oftentimes you know employees look forward to performance reviews it's like the super bowl how am i doing i want accurate feedback and managers are thinking i can't give you accurate feedback because i have to say there's always room for improvement and then it's going to be awkward but whether it's a performance review or just a standard time give accurate feedback have these conversations and let the employees know the path they're on where they're at and be more human at work really is the bottom line that's all tom over to you Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you next. And Troy, I see your hand up. Uh, we'll come to you after Linda Ann. Yeah, just, <clears throat> pardon me. Just to follow up on, on some of the things that Jeremy said, you know, one of the things that they're finding is that the, the resignation, um, the great resignation is affecting the people in the 30 to 45 year range, that middle range the most. Those are the people that are that have the greatest rates of the turnover. And you have to look at who was squished the most in this process in the, the pandemic Zoom era? And um, they probably felt the most pressure and confusion um, and didn't know really how to handle it. And so they are the ones that are that are leaving for whether it's greener grass or browner grass, whatever, they're leaving. And um, so... I think we need to look at that. And again, you know, I, I have a management training um, soapbox that I stand on, but they weren't given any skills to assist in that, that process and what that hybrid process really looks like. Um, I also think that when we look at turnover, you have to be really careful about some of the components that are, that are um, contributing and, you know, did you just hire a bunch of people? Did it go down because you hired a bunch of people? Is it, are you getting a false good rate? Um, the other thing too is it needs to be tracked by department and, and maybe even managers. And in my opinion, managers need to be held accountable for the turnover rate of their team. And that way they will take a greater interest in gaining management skills and put more focus on that because they're being held accountable for whether people leave or not. It's not something that human resources does. Is that something that they do every day? Um, and then one other comment is as far as the compensation, you know, people have said that, that, that it's not really about the money. It's about a lot of the other things. And especially when you're looking at the, the younger, like the Gen Z's and, and so forth coming in, they are paying huge amounts of attention to the amount of vacation time. They want, they want to work hard. They don't mind working hard, but they want to be able to go ahead and, and do things and not just because they have to travel at Christmas time to their family. So there you go. Uh, good points, Linda and uh, Troy. Welcome to the stage. Let's uh, go over to you. And good morning, everybody. Uh, fantastic esteemed panel. And uh, I came in just when uh, Miss Pearson was speaking. So uh, just the last couple of speakers, I think everybody's made excellent points. Um, we own, operate, or manage thirty restaurants and have seventeen consulting clients uh, in our business of expanding um, and scaling brands for other people. And I can tell you unequivocally. Uh, we have zero issue with the great resignation. We have no issue with attracting. Um, we're opening a new restaurant for one of our clients or ourselves about every four to six weeks. Um, and, and everything everybody has said to this point that I've heard is exactly dead on. It, it does come down to culture. It does come down to the mix beyond pay. Uh, equitable pay is, is important. And if you can set the milestone, great. 
but um, a survey of the last part of 2020, the second half of 2020, a survey of hospitality workers, of 6,000 hospitality workers, the top five reasons for leaving, not coming back, or that would have to be met and satisfied if they were to come back. Four out of the top five had nothing to do with pay. Pay was there, but the other four were all emotional or personal uh, elements, such as flexibility and reliability of schedule, especially in the hospitality space. You know, your schedule changes weekly. It's kind of hard with child care and second jobs and uh, spousal um, you know, jobs and working around other schedules. Um, benefits was certainly in there, but opportunity for promotion. And, and I would say that's one of our biggest strengths is saying, look, we not only are growing with our own brands and our partner brands, but we have lots of consulting clients and very exciting new genres and, and new concepts. And so they, people who work with us um, see opportunity and it's very exciting. Essentially, we have a preset pipeline. We nurture that pipeline of, of uh, talent and we make it very clear to them. And to Jer Jeremy's point, I wanted to mention um, with the sit downs and the, and the, the performance reviews, um, we mandate that our managers have a one-on-one -on -one once a week with their manager, um, that supervisors have one twice a month, and that our line level staff have a sit down with management once a month. So you have to sit down in a booth, at a table, at a coffee, in, in or outside of your business uh, walls, and have a meaningful conversation about what their interests are, how they're progressing in their skill set growth, um, what what the next steps for them are, and to, to help manage those, My, not micromanage, but manage the actual progress, show accountability in that progress. And to, I think, um, Linda Ann's point about accountability at the management level, one of the best companies, if you want to study it, that has done this over the years is Vail Resorts. I had a great privilege of working with them uh, as a consultant, and my wife worked for them directly for uh, almost nine years, and they implemented a employee engagement program. Now, it was annual, and I think it needed to be more often than annual, but every single manager from entry-level manager up to the highest levels, 30% of their annual bonus and, and a significant percentage of their merit increase percentage was based on the employee, employee engagement and satisfaction survey. That's real accountability. So, um, I think more often than once a year is very important. Uh, those are my thoughts, but uh, glad to be here. This is my first time uh, on this app, and I'm excited for this topic and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Oh, you're very welcome, Troy, and we're glad that you found us here on Deep Dive. Uh, Dr. P, let's go to you next. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I love the fact that Troy said meaningful conversations with employees. It reminded me of when I worked a nine-to-five and had 12 virtual employees that each month actually sitting with them and hearing what they had to say about how they felt about their work and if it was impactful or not and if they felt valued was really important. It was more important to me than the technical stuff because for me, technically, you can teach you can teach old dog new tricks. I'm living proof of that. Um, you know, however, again, the touchy touchy Philly stuff, the soft skills that a lot of leaders and managers don't want to deal with is the stuff that we really need to be dealing with when we're talking about the topic we're talking about today. And I like how uh, Linda Ann said about the grass being green or brown. You know, of course, the grass is green wherever you nurture it. So you can go over to brown grass and make it green if you really want to. And it's interesting that um, Sherm released a survey um, survey results on the very topic that we're talking about today. And they talked about the difference between what leaders thought 
uh, the reason why people were leaving and the, the actual reasons that people said that they were leaving. And most of the leaders thought it was for better benefits, uh, career advancement, being uncomfortable working in the workplace due to COVID-19, um, better compensation, which was number four, <laughs> interesting, and then relocations uh, to somewhere with a lower cost of living, while employees actually said, number one was better compensation, uh, better work-life balance, better benefits, a career change, and better career advancement opportunities. And that's important when Linda Ann talked about the job descriptions um, people not understanding a job description is a living document and you can actually review it and update it to be accurate to what someone is actually doing, even though a lot of people don't like to do that. And then when we talk about the accountability part, I love it. I love it. I love it that you said that Linda Ann, because leaders need to be more accountable for the work environment they create. Sometimes we do things intentionally, sometimes we do things unintentionally, but you know what? We need to be accountable and for knowing what we're doing and what we're not doing and what we can do better of and what we can do less of that's not working. So thank you for mentioning that. And last thought, my mindset, whenever I have anyone um, working with me, I don't like to say working for me, but working with me is that training and development is essential into advancing employees, whether they stay with me or they leave me. Either way, I'm going to, to develop you to move up or move out. That's just the bottom line for me. So I'm Dr. P and I'm done speaking. Thank you. And you said some wonderful things once again, Dr. P. Uh, let's keep this ball rolling. Uh, we're going to go to Brendan, then Ariana, and then Cynthia. Great to see you here. Uh, we're going to get to you after Ariana. So, Brendan. Uh, first thing I wanted to say before I get to my my point was I just want I, I'm thrilled at the amount of people that are in this conversation and how this this continues to grow on a week to week basis. So I think we should all give ourselves a round of applause for that for taking the time to dedicate ourselves to making work a better place. And I, I'm so thankful for the amount of people that are here for this conversation. Um, but to the point I wanted to get to was, how did we get here? You know, what were the symptoms, uh, taking an IO psychology perspective of this, what are the symptoms that led us to where we are right now? So I kind of thought through some of the clients that I have and how, how, how we are here now. So what happened was when COVID hit, you had all these COVID layoffs and a lot of these companies were pivoting because they thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. So they laid all these people off who were doing these management positions and then reassigned those tasks to somebody else without more pay. Some of these people have their, their pay cut. They might've had their hours cut. So they were already set up for burnout because now they're taking on probably one and a half to two jobs at this point. So that's that's the first issue we have. Now we're, we're starting to, okay, we're coming out of this, we need to get more people in. Well, what we're happening now is so much salary compression was going on. So especially at the lower level jobs, you can't even get people at what the compensation studies will tell you what the pay is because somebody up the street is paying something competitive. Um, Ariana made a great point about this. Well, I could work as a medical assistant or I could go work as Sonic and get the same pay and very, very, very different skill sets. So that's also creating another issue with that. And you now you have people who are currently in their pay, uh, in their positions with their older pay, and you're bringing in newer people who are, might be even making more than them. So yeah, I'm going to leave too if the new person's coming in making $3 more an hour than me, and I've been doing this job for five years. 
I'm definitely going to have my resume out there. So these are just the types of things that I just want everyone to be aware of. This is a lot of how we got here, and this is what we have to fix. You know, I think you're absolutely right. Um, to share a brief story, before the pandemic, I was working at a, a university in a theater and film program. They would not allow us, because of budget reasons, to bring in our movement specialist. And we had to actually have one of the other faculty who didn't have a specialty in movement teach the class. Not only did the students not get their level of education that we sort of deem as, as you know, mandatory, but it caused, you know, danger issues. But the, you know, the university would not hear from it. Uh, Ariana, let's go to you next. Thank you. I feel like this is jumping back a little bit, but just reiterating um, the importance of culture. So I work with a company called LRN, and we actually very proud that we just released a big study on the benchmark of ethical culture. So what we did is we created a framework for our organizations to understand and begin assessing their own culture. Because what, what I've kind of discovered is so often we understand this and we understand the importance of culture, but to other leaders or executives or really anyone within the organization, it's kind of a fluffy topic that they don't know how to get at. Um, so I think just coming back to what we found, we found really similar to what we already know and has been said here that the strongest predictors of employee loyalty were trust, corporate ethics, so being mission driven, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I also think that part of this conversation is also moving companies towards the direction of actually looking at a framework of culture, how to measure it, how to assess it how to address areas of opportunities and actually start making movement in a way that has been traditionally a little bit more fuzzy. So I'd love to hear what anyone else has to say in reaction to that. And with that, uh, let's go over to Cynthia. And Cynthia, it is great to see you here uh, and especially get your opinion on this discussion because you're not in the IO field, right? So you maybe want to start by telling us a little bit about the world that you come from. Cynthia, I see that your mic is unmuted, but um, I can't hear you. Can anybody else hear Cynthia? I can't either. So, Cynthia, uh, Cynthia, yeah, keep trying your mic a few times. You might have to leave the room and come back in. That sometimes happens. Uh, but if you want to try that, we'll bring you up next. So, Jeremy, while we're waiting, let me bring this back to you, because as I'm listening to this conversation, uh, we're in a mess. <laughs> so how do we get out of this mess well, that's a pretty broad. <laughs> that's a pretty broad statement, Tom. What, Claire? Uh, put into some parameters the the mess for me. Well, we we all know that this great resignation is occurring right now. We're living in it, and you know, Ariana, Linda, uh, Doctor P, Troy, Brent. You know, everybody on the stage has made some great comments. Uh, we haven't got to Theo yet, and I'd like to love to bring you in, Theo, and hear what you're you're thinking. But ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, but how do we how, how do we do this? My first thought is listen to whatever Brendan says. When, when Brendan was sharing his thoughts on how did how did we get to this, the first thing that popped into my head is great. We're playing Jeopardy, where the answer comes first, and then it's the question. Because the question that I was going to ask um, before Brandon spoke was, is, and this is, this is the question that I'll post I'll pose to the group, uh, and and then I'll chime in afterwards. Um, is this new? Like take within, you know, we all know that, you know, the workplace during, you know, the 20s and 30s and we, we know that it was much different. Right. But let's take the past 20 years, even the past 30 years. Is all this new? 
do do is all this data new or are people just paying attention to it and just accepting it now so has it for the past 20 30 years always been where people wanted healthy work-life balance good vacation time to feel appreciated to do work that's challenging to work not in a toxic environment if it's not new what's causing people to finally listen and well first off are companies finally listening and then what's causing companies to finally listen so i asked that question in my head and then of course brendan perfectly steps up to the plate so it's like a, a game of jeopardy but I'll pose that question again for other insights. Who, please, would like to respond? I see a lot of hands up, but I don't know if those are new hands or old hands. So maybe clap if you're up on the panel and want to respond to that. I see Linda Ann looking like, and then Cynthia. Oh, that's, uh, ooh. Yeah, let's, I'm bad at let's... moderating, Tom. I need to throw it over to you. I'm going to go to Linda <laughs> Ann. Tom, back to you to see if Cynthia's mic is working. Cynthia, is your mic working? I just working. want to test this because I'm I'm new to working. Nope. Uh, it's got bugs. It is working. We can hear you. You're a little low in volume, but we can hear you. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Go ahead to... Uh, I have something separate. So the other person who wanted to respond to Jeremy, let them go. And then I'll see if I can figure out how to do something about the volume. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Theo, we haven't heard from you yet. Let's go to you next. Well, with that, Cynthia, let's try your mic again. Okay, how's that? Is that better? Much better. Okay, yeah, I decided to use my external. Wow, what a great intelligent. Uh, this is great. Deep Dive is awesome. Um, I'm proud to be here. And thank you. Good to see you, Jeremy and Tom and everybody. Um, my background, I'm a personal branding, a discoverability expert. I'm not an HR person, but um, I'm one of the things that I focus on is helping people who, especially like, well, not just especially, but, you know, there are a lot of executives that are in the same boat. They're not low level, or they may be high level, or they're 50 plus, and they don't know how to rebrand themselves because they've discovered that they want to do something different. They they realize they could have more fulfillment, but they're still trying to figure that out. So that's sort of my background. I'm, I have worked at every studio. I have a Hollywood background um, in PR and marketing. But um, to, to the first point, I don't know who was just speaking, I'm sorry, but um, you know, what goes on in the dark comes out in the light and the transparency of uh, the participatory nature of what's happening inside and outside of organizations has really what I think bubbled, brought everything up to the surface. And it's not just a generational thing. Everyone has had an opportunity to go, wait a minute, whoa, we're such a 24-7 American culture workforce society. And so these a lot of problems that have been institutional have now come to the surface and corporations and leaders have to participate they need to be trained they need to just understand how to communicate what's going on but i i think one of the weaknesses is that purpose washing it seems is is becoming the new greenwashing i mean just because a company has a, a purpose statement it doesn't mean that they're on purpose and you know i think that uh troy's suggestion of having a, a sit down in a booth or a table outside of you know the business walls you know creates solidarity and builds loyalty and inspiration and if managers are become more equipped and more aware as HR uh, companies and people who can help train managers to become better managers, do things like um, acknowledging that when someone personally embodies the organization's purpose, it, it provides wonderful reinforcement and reminds them to be intentional about doing the same thing. 
because especially with hybrid work or, or work from home, it's hard to feel like you're part of a team, part of doing something. And you can do things like, um, you know, you get afraid that maybe they're doing things on the outside and that, you, you know, they're going to do something that's going to get, you know, distract them from their work and not do it. How about, you know, having like meaningful conversations that ask people how they're pro pro progressing in their professional, pro their personal or professional um, aspirations. Like if you know that a team member has a side hustle creating jewelry for the holidays during a one-on-one -on -one conversation or those once a week or once a month conversations like Choi was suggesting, have them make a point of asking, you know, how's that jewelry business going? Um, taking interest in the employee was whole life makes them feel more belonging and part of a team, especially in our fragmented world. So um, that's kind of my, my uh, two cents on that. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you very much, Cynthia. There's at least a dollar there. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go over to you next. Um, thanks. Thanks, Tom. Um, I think one of the things that I believe that this is not something new, that it was definitely the bottle of champagne that was waiting to pop when you take the cork out. You know, um, it's just that whatever shifted in the environment um, really exacerbated the, the, the deficiency. And so I think that when I looked at the what the what the pandemic was creating was besides all the the horror that it that it caused for so many people, if we look at the other piece of it, the real gift that came from it is the opportunity to have this huge paradigm shift. And I think that what we need to really be careful of is to not try to fit the changes that that are existing and, and presenting themselves and the opportunities that are really presenting themselves into the old mold. And I think that's what people are trying to do. And I think that the, it's a difficult thing to, um, to clean the slate, like swipe the table off and, and figure out how we make this work now. And, but I think that's, that's what we need to do and not try to fit what we're working with now into the old mold, because that would be a huge opportunity lost. And I don't think it's going to go that well in my personal opinion, but that's what, that's my two cents on that topic. Uh, well said, uh, Troy, we're going to go to you next, but before we do, Jeremy, we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, are we going to do a second hour in another room, or are we going to stick with one hour today? We are one hour, one show today. Sounds good. Troy, let's go to you. Still finding the button. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> um, yeah, I, again, everybody's comments have been have been spot on. I, I think Theo asked the question. You know, my, my response is that the, the maturity of the Internet, the expansion of the gig economy, um, the plethora of uh, shared information through portals like TikTok about other opportunities to have a side hustle, as Cynthia mentioned, um, all play into the fact that if you were furloughed and being paid all or a part of your income, or you were in a uh, comfortably paid role uh, in management and aren't being paid during that pandemic period, you certainly had a lot more time uh, you had time to explore your interests, time to explore those things that you've been thinking about while you're on your feet at the job going, hmm, what would I do if I wasn't here? Um, and you had time and resources to try, test, taste things. Um, and if any of those hit, add to that, um, you know, 
a lot of people lost people they know. So the fear uh, and con confrontation of death and illness and uh, the fear of potentially contracting this virus um, certainly reprioritize um, people's lives. And many, many, many people took the opportunity to relocate, <laughs> knowing that either the job wouldn't be there, they didn't want to go back to it, or that they could do it remotely and, and very possibly do it remotely uh, and still do another side hustle. So I think, I think really the maturity and opportunities and the expansion of opportunities in the digital realm especially have really added to the, to the potential um, and, and the possibility. And I, I know many people who've told me, it took me a year, it took me the entire year of the pandemic, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I started an online business, side hustle, whatever. And in, in a year, I was able to replace my income. I'm not going back to my job. And I hear that story. That story is very real. Now, whether that's 100,000 people or a million or 10 million people, I don't know, but um, it certainly is enough, right? And, and to the point I think Cynthia made, or, or, or I'm sorry if it was somebody else, um, yeah, 18 bucks at Sonic on your feet for 12 hours a day or 18 hours a day if you're a manager uh, with limited upside potential um, or, or whatever you're doing uh, versus the same or more pay to not do that and do something you're more interested in um, along with all of the things we've talked about uh, that go along with the other opportunity. Uh, it's, just, it's just too good. And, and people are like, what are all these people doing? They're doing other things. Before the pandemic, there were 700,000 tech jobs available in this country that were never filled, were never being filled. That number never changed. And that and those were six-figure, 100,000-plus jobs. Google will pay you to go to their eight-month coding class today and guarantee you a $120,000 job when you're done. Um, those were there before the pandemic. So it's not a lack of that opportunities um, weren't there. It's just now the motivation has been... Um, has been changed and 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 priorities have been readjusted and I think we're seeing a real uh, a real mindset shift um, in not only in this country but globally on in this uh, on this concept. Yeah, you know, I agree 100 percent, Troy. I I talk to people on the other side of the planet on a regular basis, and this isn't just happening here in North America. This is happening around the world. Ariana, let's go to you next. I love what Troy was just saying there, and. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, if this may sound a little strange, but I'm actually really excited about the Great Resignation because to what Jeremy was saying, I think that this has been around for a while, but I think that there have been different incentive models and priorities where organizations and leaders have not been prioritizing people and have not been prioritizing or focusing on culture as well. So. I think sometimes things have to get worse before they can get better. And I'm really optimistic that this can be a fundamental shift in the way that we see the role of people at work and hopefully going towards a purpose-based, strengths-based model of people finding the right fit, enjoying their work, having good work environments, and it being something that we all can come, come to work enjoying rather than the traditional model of working in order to pay for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I think you're, you're onto something there. Uh, we've only got about five minutes left, but I, I want to pose this question to the panel. And, and Jeremy, maybe we'll start with you. There's a lot of information in this room. It's valuable and it's important. But the, you know, the roadblock seems to be from managers all the way up to the C-suite, the CEO. What's the message that they need to hear to really sort of embrace some of the changes we've been, ta we've been talking about 
and bring us out of this great resignation. Tom, I'm going to, I'm just going to have to, to repeat what I repeat, what I've said a lot. And I truly believe in, which is find out what's in it for them, get them motivated to change, get them, get managers, get organizations to have to be, to, to understand and realize that they're dissatisfied with their current state. And they're not just in a state of, uh, can't change this misery. This is the way it is. Let's be reactive. It's, it's important for leaders, either consultants, uh, IOs and organizations, any leader, any manager, paint a picture of a future better than the one that a particular manager and their employees are headed for and give them the tools to change, give them the skills, give them the know-how and help to push those behaviors along so that they can realize that future that's better than where they're headed. Unless we are able to show people what's in it for them and how their every day can be better than the previous day by paying attention to X, Y, and Z, to doing X, Y, and Z, and seeing the cause and effect relationship or even correlation between X and Y, or maybe Q and Z. We could have fun with letters if we really wanted to, just to throw in a little light spirit today. That's what's important. And Tom, over to you. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And Troy, I see your hand up, which is great, because as you mentioned earlier, you know, you're working in an environment where the great resignation, you, it's almost like you've moved past it. So what are you discovering and, and how exactly are you doing that? Uh, great cultures, I think, to uh, Dr. Angela's point. Great. And Cynthia, I'm sure as well, everybody. Um, great cultures win. Bad cultures lose. Um, I, I have good news and I have good news. The good news is I'm about to tell you what your problem is if this is a problem within your organization. And the good news, uh, after I tell you that what the problem is, I'm going to tell you how to fix it and that you can. I'm going to give you hope. The good news is that it's your fault. All failures start at the top. And if the toxic person is halfway down the organization, it's the top's failure to recognize, correct, and provide an environment to solve that. It's uh, the top's failure for not being connected to their team and understanding that there's a toxic uh, element within the circle. Um, it is all culture. People understanding that operating a business is not zeros and ones. It's good mornings and how are yous. Um, it's handshaking. It's uh, crying in the office. It's uh, a handwritten note uh, surprising your staff member when you find when you know it's their anniversary and and they haven't said a word on social media about it, but you knew it. Um, this is a human game. A unless you're running robots and there's a ro there's a human running that robot, so you better robots, so you better take care of them. Um, the good news is, is if it's your fault and you're failing, uh, and you're losing folks and you can't find new folks because the word on the street is it's not a great environment. The good news is you can change it and you can change it today. It starts with self-awareness and empathy. And, um, if you recognize and humble yourself and swallow your pride, um, you too can change the environment, but it's going to take time. It's not going to solve your short-term labor problem. Um, it's going to cost you uh, in time, energy, and money, but you have the opportunity to shift your mindset. And when you do, if it's authentic and it's consistent and it's genuinely going to be a mind shift change, um, you can fix this in the mid to long term. 
the problem is I think a lot of people are going to go out of business. Um, and, and I don't have a lot of empathy for folks who uh, have been told and known and had high turnover. As an example, it might shock some folks in the room if they're not familiar with my industry. Um, in 2019, after the 11 years of the absolute highest um, growing and fastest growing and highest value economies we've ever had in the United States, um, turnover in the food and beverage business was not less than 102% on an annual basis. Full service restaurants were 102 and quick service fast food restaurants were at 136. Those numbers went up in 2021 and have yet to come down. And so if you're having over 100% turnover industry-wide as an average, um, this should not be a shock to you. And, and at some point you should have said, geez, I'm hiring a 102 for every 100% I need uh, every year. That, that should be a, a, a red flag for you. So um, I, I think people need to have some self-awareness and, and have a mind shift change from a leadership perspective. And with that, I think it's a great point to end our conversation. Uh, this has been a great conversation today. I'd like to thank everybody who's come up on stage today and shared their, their voices with us. And with that, Jeremy, I'm going to send it back to you to wrap this show. Uh, Troy, thank you for those great closing remarks. I will add a, a couple of negotiation uh, sayings, words in there to add on to what Troy is saying. I, I love that. I have good news and good news. So, I might say something like, I have good news, so I have good news, it's your fault. I have good news, you've got what it takes to fix it. Then I would say something to the effect of, I will help you, you would do the same for me. That adds in an element of reciprocation. And then I would say, would it be the worst idea in the world for us to talk and then work together to make this happen? So I would add those three things. You've got what it takes to fix it. You would do the same for me. Would it be the worst idea in the world for us to talk and then work together to make this happen? Uh, so absolutely love what you left us with, Troy. Thank you, everyone. Tom, a special thanks to you. And good to see some old and some new friends here today. Until next week, closing in five, four, three, two, and... Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.